Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. I have got a news flash for you, uh, and this will catch you off guard, James. You ready for this? Thanksgiving is this week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would really be shocked if that did catch anybody off guard. Because the reality of the matter is, being that we're only four days away from Thanksgiving, um, you have probably not only known that, but you've been making plans accordingly. For some of you, it's going to involve getting in your car and driving somewhere because you're going to be getting together with some loved ones. Um, it may be somewhat locally or it may be out of town. Um, and then there are others of you that are going to be having people come into your home right? How many of you have got folks coming to your house? Yeah. So uh, um, that doesn't let you off the hook. That just means now you got to kind of help with some cleaning, right, Sean? Yes, that's right. Um, so anyway, this is the week, Thanksgiving week. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you stop and you think about it, you know, regarding Thanksgiving, uh, is that this is a holiday that has been ex established uh, with the expression of gratitude in mind. That that's what it's all about. And, and there's a lot of history behind this, and whether you remember the history or not now, you know, may be in question, but you probably were taught the history at some point in time, grade school or whenever it might have been. But uh, this is kind of a significant year. 2021, because this actually marks year number 400 of when this whole thing started. It was 1621 when the pilgrims and the Indians and all, the, you know, they did their thing. And, and what we trace the history of Thanksgiving back to. So 400 years ago. Now, it was about 150 years following that, that George Washington issued a proclamation that um, it would be the, a day that would be devoted to public prayer and thanksgiving. So that's something George Washington at a later time said. And then it was about 75 years or so later that Abraham Lincoln is the one who said, that Americans should recognize the last Thursday of November as Thanksgiving Day. And then for whatever reason, it was uh, seven years later after that, uh, in 1870, when it became a national holiday, along with Christmas, along with New Year's, along with the 4th of July. You know, I kind of did a package deal there um, as far as all of these being national holidays. But for many people, this week represents a time when there are going to be family gatherings. You know, maybe your house, maybe at someone else's house. It's going to be a time when, uh, uh, whether or not you're intentionally watching football, there's probably going to be football on the TV. Uh, someone reminded me after the first service, there's also Jayhawks basketball on Thursday which uh, that had slipped past me. I didn't realize that. So, so it may not just be football this uh, Thanksgiving. It may be some basketball as well. And, and, and I'm pretty safe based on what reading I did, and this was a pretty recent study, that says 88% of homes in the United States will be serving turkey as part of the meal. 
That's a pretty high percentage. That was higher than what I realized it would be. Now, I just so happened to marry into a family that doesn't do turkey at Thanksgiving. They always do ham. And, and yeah, so some others have done that too. But uh, like this week, I'll be going over to mom's house and meeting some of my siblings. So there will be turkey in this week as well for me. Now, having said all that, I want to say that a big part of what we've been trying to communicate this month in these three messages, including this message today, is that God's desire for thanksgiving in the life of a believer is much bigger than a once a year sort of thing. You know, the the fact that we have set apart some time toward the end of November to, you know, express our gratitude and our thanks to God for this, that, and everything else. I mean, that's a good thing. But God's design and God's will for your life and for my life is that Thanksgiving should be a bigger thing than just one part of one month of the year. It should be a part of our life throughout the year, regardless of what month it is. You know, it was about three months ago or so the decision was made to do this short three-part series that I'm wrapping up here today uh, about gratitude. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's one of those things, it's kind of interesting how this works. It's kind of like when you go out and you buy a car, and as soon as you buy that car, guess what you spot at almost every stoplight? You, You spot the same car. You know, now you're seeing it all the time. Before, you didn't really notice it that much. Now you're seeing it all the time. Well, that's kind of the way this whole series has been for me, is when the decision was made about three months ago to do a series just focused in on gratitude and thanksgiving, then in my devotional reading, regardless of what part of the Bible I happened to be in over the last three months, I kept running into passage after passage after passage that is talking about our subject matter, talking about giving thanks. So let me kind of, like a rock on water, let me skim the surface of some of these that are in the Scripture. This is one that I used in the message two Sundays ago, Colossians chapter 2. It kind of describes in two verses time, this is what being a Christian is all about. This is what you are to be and are to do. It says, therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, being a Christian should impact the way you live your life. I mean, that's what that statement is saying. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. There's a visual attached to that easily, at least in my mind, Because when I think about the word overflowing, you know, the simple visual that comes to my mind is a glass and you got a pitcher and you're pouring, you know, water or tea or whatever it is into that glass and you don't stop when it gets to the top. You just keep pouring and what's going to happen? The glass can't contain it anymore. It starts overflowing. Well, that is to be a picture of your life as a believer and my life in regards to our gratitude. We are so full of gratitude that it overflows our life, what we're able to contain. Okay, let's look at some others. 
Kurt used this passage last week, 1 Thessalonians 5. No matter what happens, always be thankful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. See, it's stated, this is God's stated will for us, is that we be thankful, always. Philippians chapter 4, a a familiar passage. This one talks about uh, dealing with anxiety and part of what you need to do and I need to do in dealing with anxiety is we need to pray. But it's not just any kind of prayer. This is what the passage says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you got anxiety, you got some things that's really distressing you, you know, stirring up on the inside and you're not experiencing any peace. What should you do about it? You should pray about it, but your prayers should be covered with expressions of thanksgiving, okay? And that's part of where the peace, God is going to bless you and I with peace as a result. Old Testament talks about all this too. First Chronicles 16, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Colossians chapter 4, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. I, I like that expression. Your eyes wide open in gratitude. Psalm 95, let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. Colossians 3, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Now, like I said, we're just hitting some of the high points here. It's only a fraction of the passages found in the Bible about our subject matter. Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. Psalm 118, you are my God and I will thank you. You are my God and I will praise your greatness. Thank the Lord because he is good. His love continues forever. 1 Timothy chapter 4, since everything God created is good, We should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Okay, so that was 10. 10 passages of Scripture, which is only a small percentage of the actual number of passages that you're going to see, you know, scattered throughout the Bible. So going back again to to, uh, this one, this is what is to, to be characterizing our life, that we are overflowing with gratitude, that if people spend any length of time with us at all, which like this week, you know, later this week, there are going to be some relatives and friends that are going to be spending a number of hours or maybe all day or a couple of days around you. This is part of what they should see in your life and coming from you, that you're overflowing with gratitude. Now, I want to show you something that this does, and it's kind of cool how this works. We intuitively know that when, when our lives, our minds, our hearts are filled with gratitude, there are certain things that are going to happen. For example, one of the things that's going to happen is, is we're going to be drawn closer to God. 
And that, I think that goes a long way in explaining why there are so many scriptures that talk about this. Because the more thankful and grateful we are for him and all that he does in our life, the closer we're going to find ourselves in relationship to him. And what coincides with that is our faith, our trust is going to increase. As we think about how he has been faithful in times past in our life, it's going to just cause us to become all the more confident in trusting him today and in the days moving forward in our life. So our trust is going to increase. Um, one of the things that's going to end up happening uh, with this, the more gratitude overflowing with gratitude, and we intuitively know this, but I'm going to state it just so we bring it to the front of our mind here. We become more likable as people. Think about it. Think about, think about maybe that, son-in-law that's coming over to your house later this week <clears throat> and it's causing a little bit of dread <laughs> in your life and it's just you have a hard time thinking of anyone who's a grouchier person than him or that great aunt and maybe how grouchy she is how drawn are you to want to spend all day with them to spend extra time hoping they'll say you know what i'm coming back tomorrow you're hoping they're going to say that you know how drawn are you no we we really don't enjoy being around grouchy people but what is it about people who just are like bubbling over with gratitude and are just thankful you know and it just kind of oozes from them those are the kind of people that i mean it's kind of contagious right and you're drawn toward that. So people with gratitude filling their hearts, they are actually more likable people. So there are several things we intuitively know about gratitude in the life of a person that is a very positive thing. Today, I'm going to talk about something maybe you haven't thought about. Because one of the passages that um, two and a half months ago or so that I was reading after we decided to go this direction in the series uh, was this passage. It's one of David's Psalms. And so I'm just going to lift out these three verses, 30, 31, and 32, Psalm 69. Here's the way it's worded. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Now, the context in that is that David was saying that during a day when worship revolved around a portable version of the temple called the tabernacle, you know, the next generation under his son's leadership, they would have a permanent building, a temple that would be built. But a big part of the expression of worship involved animal sacrifices. So that's what he's talking about here. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs, more than a sacrifice that you make at church, is kind of what he's saying there. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You will seek God. Let uh, you who seek God, let your hearts revive. The key verse in this passage, and it's not the only time that it comes up, in the book of Psalms, is that second line says, I will magnify him, meaning the Lord here, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. That is found multiple times in Psalms. 
This is the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's a very literal word-for-word translation, as is the New American Standard Bible. They both use this word magnify. The King James Version uses this. The New King James uses it. So there are several translations. Now, some of the other translations, they use glorify and some of these other words. But, but the word magnify is, is the key word that... that all of the detailed, literal, word-for-word translations of the Bible use in this passage is that, is that by expressing our gratitude, our thanksgiving, we are magnifying the Lord. So this is what we are to be doing in our life, magnifying the Lord through thanksgiving. Now, I talked about some of the other things that that gratitude and expressions of thanksgiving accomplishes. But let's really rifle in on this for a moment. I want you to think it through. The word magnify, it can be used in two different senses. It can mean to make something appear greater than it is. This is like when you take a microscope um, um, or a magnifying glass and you take something tiny and put it underneath of it and you can make it bigger appear bigger than what it really is. That's one way the word magnify can be used. The other way that the word magnify can be used is to make something that may appear small or insignificant actually appear as great as what it really is. And that would be like with a a telescope. You know, what you would do with a telescope. It might be something on the horizon, something a long, long ways away, but you use a powerful enough telescope, and all of a sudden, it's like you're right there, and you can really appreciate the size of what it is um, that you're looking at. Two kinds of magnifying, microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The, The first kind makes a small thing look bigger than it is. This is something that I bought um, a few years ago. I bought it online. We uh, built a deck, a screened-in deck, on the back of our house, which uh, quickly became uh, my wife, my wife's favorite room in the house. You know, and, and we've got a couple comfortable chairs out there and a rocker, and I mounted a TV on the wall, the grills out there. And, you know, we, we like to spend time, you know, out there on the deck. But even though it's all screened in, uh, critters have this amazing ability of getting in, okay? And so, you know, I'll, I'll be sitting there and I'll look up and I'll see a wasp on the screen. And so I've got to look close, a little closer to see that, oh, that wasp is on the inside. And I don't know what the deal is, but I've probably removed four dozen wasps, you know, from inside the deck and still haven't quite figured out where or how they're getting in there. One time it was a bumblebee that was in there. Um, there have been multiple times it was a spider. And if any of you know anything at all about Colette, you know that 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 room will become her least favorite room in the house if that continues, okay? So what I ended up doing is I got this little cheap uh, thing that, that has this sliding door, so you put it up against the screen so you don't have to damage the screen, and then you basically trap the bug in it. But on this side of it, there's a magnifying glass. And so uh, uh, and I've got a grandson that now is four years old, but over the last couple of years, 
you know, whenever he's over the house and I catch something or I catch something and I know later in the day he's going to be there, I'll leave it in here because Bo loves to look at spiders in the magnifying glass, you know, and you really begin to see how creepy these things really are when you <laughs> magnify them. And it's just like, wow, and you look at, look at a bumblebee and it's like, oh, you feel like you're staring death in the face, you know. I mean, because when you magnify it, it looks bigger than life because it is looking bigger than life. Well, that is not the word, the way the word is being used in this passage. David isn't saying that he's taking something small and he's making it look larger, appear larger than what it really is. No, it's the other way. It's where um, you're taking something that is big, though people oftentimes don't see or think of it as being big, and, and it's bringing attention to how big it really is. Think of this. Think of the Hubble telescope. Now, when I was in grade school and growing up, you know, two, two of the things that really fascinated me back in those days uh, involved the deep sea, any pictures of deep sea fish and stuff like that, you know, all those teeth and, you know, um, things like that with some, some of those fish. Um, and then outer space, you know, any, any pictures having to do with our solar system and beyond. You know, I was always fascinated with that. But the problem was the Hubble telescope wasn't put in orbit until 1990. Now, I wasn't a kid anymore, you know, and the stuff that the Hubble telescope is helping people to appreciate about, you know, space, about our galaxy, about the universe is just blowing minds. All you got to do is Google it, Google Hubble telescope pictures. And, and if you've never done that, you know, you'll be fascinated with some of these pictures of constellations and galaxies, oftentimes that they didn't even know existed. The universe, they used to... They used to think that they knew how many galaxies there were. They had a guesstimate on that. When the Hubble telescope started doing its thing, because you see the images now don't have to mess with the atmosphere. And so the pictures are a lot clearer, and you can see a whole lot farther. And now they're realizing we have no clue how many galaxies there are, because they just keep going and going and going and going. And it's fascinating. But you see, that telescope is, is helping people to see things that, you know, with the naked eye and even with mediocre type, type telescopes, you know, we really didn't appreciate how big they were. But now we're beginning to uh, gain an appreciation. And see, this is what David is saying. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. And what he is saying is that through his expressions of gratitude and thanks, he is helping people to see and hear how big God really is. He's not trying to take a small God and make him big in people's minds. That's not what he's doing. He's taking a big God and he's helping people to appreciate just how big God is. So you see, we are called not to be microscopes. We are called, in a sense, to be telescopes that people through us can see and hear about the greatness of God. Now, people tend to not see that 
People tend to not want to see that. I'm only going to read these four verses. The passage actually is longer than this. But in Romans chapter 1, it's talking about some people that intentionally turned a blind eye and a deaf ear, you know, to the things of God and the reality of God. Listen to these words. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, They became fools. And the passage goes on from there. But basically it's saying that people have intentionally decided to shut out the evidence of God and and refuse to give any expressions of gratitude and all. But they pat themselves on the back in how wise they are. But what does the scripture say about them? It says that they're foolish What does Psalm 14 verse 1 says? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the reason that that passage holds so much truth is because there is so much evidence of the reality and the existence of a big God that we serve. It is through your expression of thanks and gratitude to God that others hear that little seeds of thought are planted. Even this week, you're going to be spending time, you know, around others. And uh, even if you're real competitive and one of your favorite teams is playing basketball or playing football um, on Thanksgiving Day, you know, recognize the fact that that day represents an opportunity where you can plant some seed, some seed of thought in people's lives by attributing to God the gratitude and the thanksgiving that he so deserves. And, and maybe uh, the time will come where some of these seeds will germinate and will actually produce a harvest down the road. But, but this is what God's intent is, that we magnify him with our thanksgiving through our expressions of gratitude. So having said that, and having said you know the things that Kurt talked about last Sunday and what I talked about the week before, the question that I kind of want to kind of round the corner and end the series with is this. Are there some things you're a bit overdue in thanking God for? You know, Kurt had a section at the tail end of his message last week. I did the week before challenging each of us to seriously set our minds on this and give some thought, reflect on this. Are there some things that... uh, we really ought to be thankful for because you don't want to be like those nine lepers we talked about two Sundays ago. Remember Jesus healed 10 lepers, but apparently nine of them decided they had more important things to do than to go out of their way and trouble themselves with going back to Jesus and saying thanks. So they didn't bother. And only one of the 10 went back to say thanks. You don't want to be a part of the 90%. You want to be a part of that 10%. So let's set our minds on this for a moment. Because the reality of the matter is we have it so good. 
in our lives. In, in the day and age that we live in, in the part of the world that we live in, we have it so good. Now, I know some of us might be questioning that a little bit with some of what is happening in society and in the news we're hearing about. We're hearing about the supply chain crisis, you know, and all the ships um, out from the harbors that, you know, we don't have workers, that stuff's not getting unloaded, truck drivers, there's a shortage of that. We're seeing from time to time, you go into a store and you're seeing some shelves that, uh, you know, are emptier than what they were a couple years ago, because a couple years ago, you hardly ever saw that. Um, but now it's like something that you're seeing with a little bit more frequency. They're talking about inflation, prices increasing, and, of course, gas is the obvious thing, but, but it involves food. And I, I, I grilled out on the deck yesterday, so I ran by the store and got something to grill. And when I saw what some of the steak prices were, I was like, I'm getting a cheaper cut for today's, today's meal. Because it was just like, whoa, I hadn't seen these prices, you know, since before the pandemic. And, and uh, the prices have definitely increased. So, so you've got some of this inflation factor that is playing into it. Although the good news in the middle of all this is that Costco has their pump, four-pound pumpkin pie at the same price that they have had it in before. That's the good news. But, but a lot of things, the price has gotten, gotten higher. And... Uh, you know, and so we, we may be scratching our head and second-guessing some of this, you know, because we don't know what lies around the corner. Where is all of this headed? We don't know. That's some of the uncertainty, you know, regarding some things in the future. But even with that, you stop and just think. Last Sunday, I was eating lunch with a couple, and the topic that came up was clean water. Now, I don't know what all precipitated that, that caused that to be the topic, but um, the discussion started involving how much of the world does not have the luxury of turning on a faucet and knowing they're going to have clean water. I mean, there's a lot of people, they're drinking the same water that is being used for a lot of other purposes too, you know, and that's life for them. But uh, we can so easily take that for granted. Um, you think about, um, you know, if you're questioning, you know, where's all this headed in our country and everything, take a look in your closet, in the dresser drawers. Is there a shortage of clothes there? I would venture to guess for most of us in here, no. Now, there might be a bit of a shortage for the size that fits you right now, you know. <laughs> And you're keeping that one section in the closet for when I lose 15 pounds, I got a whole bunch of clothes calling my name. You know, you might have that kind of thing going on. But, uh, but I mean, really, how many of us are really hurting for clothes? Um, you know, I, and all, I, I'm sure all of us have a story like this. But, you know, when I was in fourth grade, my older brother's two years older than me, but he was always small for his age. I was always bigger for my age. And, and so we were the same size. Um, he was in seventh grade. I was in fourth grade. We were the same size. And we had two pair of jeans. And I would wear one pair all week, going to school and all. He'd wear the, the other pair. And then on the weekend, mom would wash them. And then I would get the pair he wore and he'd get the pair I wore. And, and that was it. And I, I look in my closet today and, you know, I, and I've, got, I've got several pair that I could put on today. 
And then if I lost 20 pounds, I got about four or five more pair I could put on as well. You know, but shortage of clothes, not hardly. Not for most of us. Now, there may be for some, but the majority of us, um, yeah, I don't think there is a shortage. And when you talk about food, you know, you know how many of us are just, we have no clue what we're going to eat for lunch today. Not because you haven't decided what restaurant to swing by or something, but, but you just don't know. You don't know what you're going to have for a meal, you know, in the next 24 hours or 48 hours. There aren't many of us that are struggling, you know, with that. Um, you think about stuff like uh, just some of the common luxuries that we take so much for granted, like uh, furnace in the winter, air conditioner in the summer. I mean, we, we got it so good. You know, back to the food thing, um, I remember several years ago, I was given the assignment, you know, I was going to be out and about, so uh, I was instructed that I needed to swing by the store and pick up some peanut butter. Okay, let this be a lesson to all of you guys. Ask a few questions before you just say, okay. Because I got there, and it was just like, oh, my goodness. There is regular peanut butter. There's the smooth kind. There is crunchy. There is extra crunchy. You know, and it's like, I don't know which one of those. And then, then you start looking, and there's some peanut butter that's sugar-free. Some is sodium-free. You know, and, and there's regular kinds. There's kinds that come in jars. There's some that come in tubs. There's others in squeeze bottles. There was even a squeeze bottle that had jelly in it too, right alongside the peanut butter. So I did the thing that, that uh, uh, might have been a little bit hard and would be a little bit hard for some of the guys in here to do is I humbled myself and I called home because I knew any decision I make is going to be the wrong one here. And I said, you got to give me more details in regards to the peanut butter. But even a simple decision like that, you know, we've got so many choices available to us. I remember reading not that terribly long ago about how um, it is said that the average garbage disposal eats better in the United States than 80% of the world. Now, I think you can appreciate that and you can understand how that could be true. So again, the point I'm making is we have it so good. We've been blessed in so many ways. And we enjoy it so much. I mean, really, we do enjoy so much of this. And for the record, I'm not trying to give anyone a guilt trip, you know, about what you have in your closet or, or you know, how many varieties of peanut butter you might have in your house. I'm not trying to give anyone a guilt trip. You might be interested to know that there is a verse in the Bible that says what this one does. It gives a caution, but then it also gives us insight. It says this in 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world, whether you realize it or not, that describes the majority of us that are in this room. Because comparatively speaking to people in the world and people in past generations, we are rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Get this, who richly provides us 
with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoying things in your life, that is not one and the same as sin. That is not outside of God's will because it's stated right there. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Last month, Colette and I went to southern Utah. I had been there before on my motorcycle, but I only saw what I could see from my motorcycle seat. And Colette had never been there before. But what I saw, you know, kind of wet my appetite enough that I knew one day it'd be good to be able to go back. So last month, we went. There are several national parks, several of you I've talked to, and you've been there, and, and you know um, some of this. Um, it's just incredible. I'm in awe when I see mountains of rock, you know, that don't have trees, that don't have dirt. It's just rock. And there are various kinds of rock that are found uh, in these national parks. And it was just fascinating to, to uh, see all of that and see the variety of that. But one of the things that we did while we were there is uh, we multiple times a day we prayed if for no other reason or time it was during a meal we would pray and our prayer uh, was an expression of gratitude for the food that we had to enjoy we prayed for safety as we traveled we prayed for our family back here any particulars that we knew about our family or any pressing needs about certain individuals in the church we prayed about that but with every prayer we also include an expression of thankfulness for the opportunity to enjoy God's creation to be able to see the things that we were seeing and and just trying to imagine you know the formation of this stuff and how God you know brought it about to begin with it's okay to enjoy the blessings that God gives we need to be careful, though, that it doesn't become our primary focus. It doesn't become our primary passion in life just to enjoy things, to always be chasing after entertainment and pleasure and stuff like that because that is problematic. Let me show you uh, one last time in this series. This was a passage I opened this series with two weeks ago. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, But know this. Difficult times will come in the last days, okay? So that's the context, talking about the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and that was where my emphasis was two weeks ago, that as time goes along, people are going to become more and more ungrateful. But look at where the passage continues and goes. It says, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, and get this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does God want us to enjoy creation? Does God want us to be pleased, you know, in the midst of all that he's blessed us with? Yes, he does. But that does not become an end in itself where we are always pursuing pleasure and entertainment. That then, in effect, would become our God. And that's what this passage is saying. As time goes on, things are going to go that direction. 
more and more. So we have it so good, we enjoy it so much, but here is the problem. We express it so little. There's a combination of things perhaps that contributes to that. And I'm saying generally speaking, you know, based on human nature, there's always exceptions. There are some, some of you that just bubble with gratitude. I mean, you just bubble over with gratitude. Good for you. And what a great example for the rest of us. But, uh, but there's too many of us that, yeah, we're a little bit lacking in this department. And human nature, yeah, certainly can play into that. A combination of things can contribute to it. The tendency of taking things for granted. You know, I kind of put a weird title on today's message. But I read somewhere that the average human being in one day takes in 23,000 breaths of air. 23,000. I don't know who stood around and counted that. But uh, uh, that's a bunch. And that means in a year's time that the average person takes in 8,395,000 breaths. Have you ever struggled with breathing before? Have you ever had a condition where breathing, you couldn't do it or it was real painful? This is so easy to take this for granted if you haven't ever. Back in the year that I was really struggling with cancer back when I was 26, 27 years old, um, I had developed blood clots in my lungs. And um, I woke up one morning and just in incredible pain. I still say that was the most painful moment physically in my entire life. Because I felt like every breath I took, it was like someone taking 20 knives and sticking them in my chest. And it was so painful. And so the natural tendency was, and Colette was totally helpless. It was real early in the morning, and, and, uh, and I kept trying to change body position and stuff like that. Nothing was, was uh, giving me any relief. And so the knee-jerk reaction is if it hurts to breathe, hold your breath, right? And so then I got four, five, six seconds, no pain. But you know what happens when you hold your breath. When you take a breath, it's going to be a much bigger breath than normal. And it magnified the amount of pain. And so it, I quickly deduced that, that holding my breath for that temporary relief wasn't worth it because of what it would mean at the end of that. That was such a painful experience. And they had to put me on some you know, pretty significant drugs and stuff and in the hospital for a week to try to address that situation. Um, but by and large, if a person has never struggled with breathing, it's something that's so easy to take for granted. And so the thought of giving thanks for fresh air, thanking God for the ability to breathe, hardly crosses our mind. Another thing that can kind of play into us expressing it so little is, is we get caught up in making comparisons. Do you remember what it was like the first time you got a car? Remember how thankful you were? Remember how much, if, if it was dependable and started up and got you from point A to point B? I mean, for me, it was a 1958 Chevy pickup. We lived on a rock road, so I had to roll the windows down to let the dust out. It was so rusted out. 
dust was coming up through the floorboard. And, you know, it, it was crazy. But boy, I felt like I was on cloud nine because I had a truck. I was able to drive. But then I noticed some of my classmates, what they were driving. And all of a sudden, my thankfulness for the truck I had turned into discontentment. How come I can't have something nicer like what they're driving? See the way that works? That whole comparison thing? This is why the Bible says it is not wise to compare yourself with others. It is not wise to do that because discontentment can come in. You start becoming envious, and there's a host of various sins that, that is down that road. Or you think about what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This, I think, plays into why we express it so uh, little as well. Is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11. Solomon said this, When good things increase, those who consume them increase. In other words, our appetites get bigger. You know, as we try to fill that appetite, well, then our appetite just grows. You know, we get that house, and it's just like, man, what a great house. I've got a garage. I can park my car in there. I've got two bedrooms. I've got a living room. I've got a crawl space. I can store some things, you know, down there. But then after some time, it's like, man, I really need a basement. I need a two-car garage. I need a three-car garage. You see, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. That's what Solomon was getting at. So there's a variety of things that can play into this as to why, in the end, we express gratitude so little. But yet, this is what the Bible says. This is to be descriptive of our lives, is that we are to be people that are living differently now than what we used to live because of Christ, and we are to be overflowing with gratitude. This is what God wants to see in our life. I think one of the great examples of this is Jesus. In so many ways, Jesus serves as a great example for our lives. Let me show you uh, a passage or two about Jesus, just to show you uh, how thankful he was about things that uh, maybe we really didn't notice the first time we read through the Bible. Matthew chapter 14 contains an account of when Jesus fed the 5,000, and he did it with five loaves and two fish. So normally our attention is drawn toward the number of people because it was 5,000 men. I didn't even count women and children. So it was a huge number, 15,000, maybe 20,000 people on that day that were there, and he basically had a sack lunch. That's what our attention is drawn toward. Our attention is drawn toward the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. But yet when we back up and we read the passage, look at what it says. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. This wasn't the only time Jesus prayed before a meal. The very next chapter is when he fed 4,000 people. Uh, yeah, maybe he had a little bit more to work with, seven loaves and a fish. And there was plenty of leftovers this time too. But there it says, when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and they turned to the people. Jesus praying before he would eat 
Friends, I just want to encourage you, don't ever outgrow that practice. You know, when our kids are young, you know, I think most of us are probably pretty regular on that. And praying before we eat, we want to set a good example. We want them to be grateful for things in life. But when our kids, you know, grow up and they're out of the house and our grandkids aren't over, it's kind of easy to skip this. Don't, don't skip this. I mean, if this is something Jesus wouldn't skip, then why would you or I skip this? Expressing gratitude for something as basic as a meal, whether it be a, a full-scale meal like what maybe you're going to have on Thursday or whether it be a Whopper and fries. Express gratitude for the giver of all good things. And, and you look in other passages of Jesus, and this was a different day, a different occasion entirely. This is when he raised Lazarus to life. And he went to where the tomb was at. He gave instructions to remove the stone. People weren't real thrilled about that idea because um, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And you can kind of piece that together of what the concern there would be. Um, but Jesus still wanted it, it open. So we have this incredible, impressive miracle that happens here because Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, he does. I mean, he's wrapped with these burial cloths and, and all, and he kind of comes out through, through the entrance of, of this tomb. But notice what we miss because normally our attention is on the spectacular in this passage. Look earlier. It says, then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. He's expressing gratitude, thanks to God the Father. And he's saying, thanks for hearing my prayer. When was the last time you ever included that in a prayer of yours? Thank you, Lord. I mean, we know, we know that he says we are to cast all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for us, right? Isn't that what Peter said in 1 Peter 5? You know, we, we, we are to go to him with our petitions, with our prayer requests. But when's the last time that you ever said, God, thanks for being accessible. Thanks for hearing my prayers, the big ones. And the petty ones, thank you for hearing. You see, this is kind of along the lines of the example that Jesus set. This was the pattern of his short life here on earth. And it does set a good example for us. This Thursday, I hope you make it a special time of thanksgiving. That you don't leave the thanksgiving part out of thanksgiving. Okay? And so I hope that each and every one of us, that, that we'll have overflowing gratitude in our lives and in our hearts, you know, as we approach uh, and experience Thursday. But might it also be said in the days following that, when December 1st rolls around, when the bitterness of the end of January and February and some of those temperatures and weather come around, might there be thanksgiving? Might our prayers be more balanced to where we're not just offering up prayer requests, but we're also 
at the same time sharing gratitude and thanksgiving for God and for this and that. Many times the very things we take for granted that are all around us. Don't just pray about your request. Now, I understand sometimes there really is a genuine shortage of time and your prayer is going to be a sentence prayer. And if you wonder what I'm talking about there, read the book of Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah did that several times. Like he would be in the middle of a conversation with the king. And in the middle of the conversation with the king, he sent up a prayer. Okay, He didn't have much time, so it was a sentence prayer. So there is a place for that. But a lot of times we got more time on our hands than what sentence prayers, you know, what you might be limited by. And so might we balance our prayers? If we're going to request something from God, might we also thank God for something that he has done and be intentional in doing that? And might we take Paul's advice and keep our eyes wide open in gratitude? to see the things that, for whatever reason, we haven't been seeing the blessings in our life. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me at this time because we're going to not just conclude the message, we're going to conclude our service today um, with this note, this thought in mind. Might we be intentionally thankful, not just this week, but might that be an ongoing thing daily in our life? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for, for each and every person that is here today and those that are joining us online as well. And uh, Lord, just so grateful for your watchful care and how your hand is involved in our lives and, and even in ways that we don't fully appreciate in many of the the things that you in the circumstances and, and uh, the timing and uh, some of this stuff in our life, we, we will not fully appreciate until one day in glory we're able to get, be given the insight to look back on our lives and to see your fingerprints all over the place. But Lord, at the same time, having said that, there's a lot of stuff that we need to be more attentive to in giving credit where credit is due. Thank you, Lord, for being such an incredible God. And might, might our lives, might our conversations magnify you in such a way that you are glorified more than what a sacrifice would bring and that it would also open people's eyes around us to understanding better just how incredible of a God you really are. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a good, safe week. Happy Thanksgiving.